What's up, Jabronis? Welcome back to Two on Five, your one-stop shop for all your top five lists. I'm Drake. I'm Brett. I'm Brian. What's up, guys? Yeah! (laughs) And once again, we are back with another installment of our very special Three on Five, where we are covering the video game systems of our generation. This episode, we are covering the 32-bit systems. Uh, So what that's going to include for us is classics like the sega saturn and oh, wait. It, it doesn't include that there is not a game from not the saturn. at all nope poor guys yep also including the playstation one and the n64 these are the systems you remember not the sega saturn well yeah and that is all sega's fault because they launched that in the dumbest way possible you know how they did that it was at e3 and they decided they were going to steal the thunder away from PlayStation making their big announcements. So they went up and they're like, hey, it's on sale in stores now. Because they stealth shipped it without any marketing. And there it sat. Yep, there it sat. There it sat. Didn't have a Sonic game at launch. Just here it is, it, I guess. <laughs> so we're looking at systems that essentially carried us through the mid nineties. Um, you know, so these were the systems that we sat down with and we convinced our parents to order a Bigfoot pizza and buy us a 12 pack of surge. And then we played these systems till our eyes bled. And it was the best thing that happened in the nineties for us. It was also, it was also kind of the last, uh, the last system that kind of truly had that couch co-op. After this, yes. after this generation, um, you know, online capabilities started coming around. So it was the last time you sat down with your buddy on the couch, like exclusively, like, hey, right. we're, do- we're doing this tonight. We're doing this every Tuesday night, whatever it is. Yeah, put it on channel three. Yeah, yep. turn get, this on. Get that RF switch ready, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, this was um, this was just a big shift in general for video games. Uh, you you're going to see one of the big console players fall off at the beginning of this. Like Sega went from at one point leading in the leading with the Genesis to becoming almost a non-factor because of the Saturn. And and you're going to see another rise. I mean, yeah, right. From the ashes, which was nothing like they come up and just immediately kind of capture the public's, imagination with this system that is so different and i mean it's still clearly you know something of a toy but it's also marketed in in a way that is not a toy that they wanted you to know this is a technological marvel and you know they're like we aren't this is cds this is you know anything they could do to make it just seem more adult is what sony did to launch that for the the purposes of home consoles this was the closest we had ever been to a computer you know everything prior to this you know was cartridge based games and then we see something that requires memory cards and you know runs on discs and looked completely different than everything we were used to seeing on console um you know by going to a a 3D style and so yeah this was a a big gap to get over i mean the this is the system that we grew up with you know we went from just being kids playing you know kids games to to go into something that felt a little more serious yeah and on that note let's get it going um my number five is a game that is actually an updated old game um it came to the 64 and 98 it -hmm. was uh rampage world tour uh, I lost my fucking mind for this game, you guys. It was... I mean, like, it fulfilled a lot of the promises of the Nintendo 64 for me, just because this was the first time you got to play all three all three of the monsters at once. And, you know, they the way that they had upped the graphics, like, it was still sprites, but, like, they were doing 3D renderings of the sprites, and... I mean, it's Rampage. Like, you are a monster. You get to destroy all the buildings. And if you need health, you can eat that guy that is running away from you. Take that. And, like, there's just 
God, I don't even know how much, like what, 70 some level, something like that. It's, it's nuts. And you just, it's one of those games we were talking about with the couch co-op where you're just, you're going to, you're going to crank it up, crank up the volume, sit down with your buds and just fucking go. Just and eat scientists. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the story for it? Cause I, I remember playing it, but it was like, wasn't there like a scientist that like shrank them, but they were just like regular sized monsters instead of gigantic or something like that. It's been well, a minute. Well, well, the whole thing about like you're these, uh, they're, like they're animals that were in a like a science facility and sure. there's an accident or whatever, and it, that's what blows you up into like the giant proportions. Oh, maybe I got and so wrong. then like by by the end of when, like when you die, then you shrink down and you're just like, oh, it's just a little lizard and he runs away. <laughs> it's or, just Lizzie. Yeah, or a wolf, or you know whatever. But like. I guess there's technically a plot, but I mean, who cares? <laughs> like, you know, and this is one of those games that it kind of um, sort of bums me out because I think it's in kind of a rights limbo right now. And that's why it hasn't really been re-released in quite some time. Like there hasn't been a new Rampage. Uh, the Like the closest thing that happened was when that movie with The Rock came out like oh, a year yeah. or two ago. Like there was a... You could play old, like original arcade Rampage, like on a PC browser. But like this was a Midway game, so mm-hmm. like you know the rights are probably just fucking nobody knows who owns it. Scattered to the wind. Mm-hmm. This is one of those games, though, that that really doesn't get old. Uh, you know, the the premise is pretty much the same through all seventy levels, where your goal is to fuck up the city. <laughs> and eat people as you go along like there it's super simple but it's fun um i also feel like you know being our first entry this is a great time to bring up the capabilities of the n64 to support four controllers and how big that was at the time you know you didn't have to buy a special add-on like you did with the super nintendo to support more controllers it just came built into the console and so the ability, and you'll see it as we get through our list, you know, with other N64 games, but that ability to just tell your buddy, hey, bring over a controller because we've already got two over here and, and we're going to fuck up some Rampage. And, you know, what that did to expand the playability of these games was huge. Yeah, everybody loves that couch co-op. Any any game that I can sit down with the buds and play, I, I'm all for, always have been. Uh, that being said, my number five, just for me, just for daddy. <laughs> uh, it, it's Resident Evil 2. It's a PlayStation 1 classic, um, 1998, which as I was making my list, I, I always put the, the dates by it. And I was like, man, 97 and 98. Mm-hmm. My parents probably hated me. Like, no wonder I was mowing lawns. Like, <laughs> but Resident <laughs> Evil 2, I mean, I think everybody that that's a gamer, once again, everybody's played this. You got Leon, you got Claire. Um, you got raccoon raccoon city police department. Um, I think that was, I remember playing that and just, I feel like it was the first time that an exploration game was done right. It's kind of that, that third, um, third person over the shoulder. And and it was just, you got to explore everything. You got silly puzzles in there, but that wasn't the point. Like, I don't know why I got to find a key to unlock whatever, but why I got to find 14 pieces of a statue. Yeah, you got to find a gem yeah. that fits <laughs> to into put this in the thing, key. And, then, and, yeah. and then yeah, and then you crank it, and then it gets you a key to open the secret do- yeah, door yeah. in the police station. But that's not the point. It's a very elaborate police station. <laughs> but I do remember, like, I would play this like late at night, like I'd have a bud sleepover or something, hang out, and we'd be playing this. And if you did, if you did Leon's um, quest first, because you could play Leon or Claire or vice versa, and it, Whoever you played first would change the second person's playthrough. Claire, if you if you did her second, the tyrant would bust out of the wall at random spots, and it was never like like I remember one time he bust out of the wall and he fucked me up, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I went to the stash and I got like my grenade launcher, and then I went back to where he popped through the wall, like ready, and he didn't come. <laughs> and then like and then like two rooms later. <laughs> it scared the shit out of me, but it was there were it was random. There were there were some random events in there that kind of always kept you guessing, no matter how many times you played it through. But I mean, 
really it's the first time i can remember that 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 3d exploration just done right yeah like uh resident evil 2 just felt like basically taking that resident evil 1 and really kind of perfecting it oh absolutely like like because resident evil 1 was like that was a revelation when it came out like it was like oh so you can you can actually make something that's got tension and and can be somewhat scary and like despite the voice acting yeah and (laughs) um you mean the genius voice (laughs) acting but like Resident Evil 2 was just that to a whole nother level. And like, like you said, the fact that there were like two campaigns and like the way that it affected each other was something. And I mean, you know, like quite frankly, that Capcom just put out that remake of Resident Evil 2 last year. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they changed a little bit of it, but the bones of that game are the same. And it's still, it's still a great play to this day. I mean, it's still, mm -hmm. it's still good. Yeah. And the tyrant can fuck off. Yeah. He's even scarier (laughs) in the new one. (laughs) You can hear him. So my number five, uh, is staying with PlayStation, is Bushido Blade 2. And this is a game, getting back to that couch co-op, that you know I have so many good memories of playing this with my buddy, you know, camped out on the couch, just going back and forth, keeping track on a notebook of who had won more duels. And this game, I mean, super simple, you know, premise, it's basically two dudes standing off for a sword fight. And every once in a while, if you hit the right buttons, you might throw a ninja star too. But <laughs> it, which was fucking bullshit. Let me add like that. <laughs> that was such fucking bullshit. But the, the sword fighting aspect of this game, it was straightforward. You know, the premise was basically fight this guy to the death, but the sword fighting was so intricate for the time that you really could work to master it. And, you know, you had different style play styles that you could try and master, um, you know, with, with each, with each different character. And so it, it always felt like there was something more to this game that lended itself well to the head to head couch co-op where you could go against your buddies and say, I'm the King of Bushido blade Two, come get it. And, you know, that was so much fun for me. Uh, you know, I mean, this this is a game that got referenced by Del the Funky Homo Sapien in a rap because of how accurate the sword play was. You don't get that out of many other games. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. I didn't Bushido Blade had an edge, right? Like there's an edge to the playing field. Yes. Like if you back up. It was up, almost like a sumo, like a sumo match. Yeah, because I, re- I remember like playing, uh, playing, um any other fighting game, Mortal Kombat, whatever, you'd have certain types of players that would either jump backwards and start throwing projectiles or would try to back you into a corner and get you with a wall combo. And you couldn't do that with Bushido Blade. You went back too far, one hit, you're done. Right. Well, and like, there were all, there were also other levels that like, um, especially in Bushido Blade 2 that had like different like levels to the, to the level mm-hmm. that you're in where you could climb up and climb down. Like I remember there was one with like a waterfall. Yeah. And like, it was just wild. But I think the thing about Bushido Blade that was crazy was it's one of the only games that features swords where the swords cut. Yeah. Like they have, they have an edge. Like most of the time when you're playing a video game that has a sword or a lightsaber or whatever, it's like you, you get a wiffle ball bat. You're just, it's a big <laughs> stick smacking somebody with it, you know? Whereas like this, like, if you connect with the sword, it's going to disable like an arm to the point where they can't hold it, mm-hmm. that arm anymore. And like, it's wild. Cause you know, if you do it right two seconds and it's over, like right. you can, you can fucking just, Oh, I, I won. And it, there is nothing more infuriating than that, by the way. <laughs> when you have waited the 30 seconds for that PlayStation to load that goddamn level up <laughs> and your friend is just like, Oh, yep. But, but on the flip side of that, it was so rewarding if you were the guy that could nail it. Mm. And, and that's always what felt great was that if you could hit that just right, uh, you looked like a master. And a real samurai. So, I mean, that, yeah, well, and that was always the, the feeling that you were chasing with that game. Well, and like, I just, I missed the square that made games like that. Like, yep. 
I, you know, I, I still think Square makes really awesome stuff a lot of the time, especially considering how long they've been at it. But they don't take risks like a Bushido Blade anymore. And I think, you know, we're it's it's a lesser medium because of that. So, Agreed. That's fair. Moving on to my number four, uh, staying with PlayStation, uh, I'm going to get into the most difficult racing game I ever played. And you guys already know that it's Gran Turismo 2 for PlayStation 1. Uh, you had to get a license to drive a fucking car in this game. <laughs> and this was, uh, for its time, the most realistic racing simulator on the market. Um, you know, every game I played up to this point was how fast I could wiggle around people while never letting off the gas. And this was a game that taught me that I had to use my brake or at the very least let off the gas when I took corners. Uh, you know, so it wasn't like Mario Kart or F-Zero or, you know, any of the other good racing games we had played uh, <clears throat> because it was so realistic. The depth of roster, if you want to call it that, uh, you know, basically how big the garage was with the different kind of cars that you could unlock, uh, the different options you had. It felt huge. And so this was one for me that I spent a lot of time racing buddies. And when we started out, none of us were worth a shit because we didn't know how to break. <laughs> and then as you play the game longer and, and start to figure out the rhythm, it, it becomes a completely different kind of challenge that was a lot of fun to play for a lot of years. I remember I remember getting to a certain point in that game though where like obviously the the like the hyper realism of it was awesome. But I remember getting to a point where like you you you'd beat all the lower races and it would throw you on like 24 hour races. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. And it was like it you got to let the computer take over, or you got to like play I remember playing it in the dorms in shifts with buddies. We'd be like pause it. Hey, if this is how you get in my room. Go ahead and knock out a couple hours of that if you can. Like it, <laughs> Please. It got, it got crazy. Like they, they, they did every race on earth there. But man, it was it's a beautiful game for the time. Just yeah. absolutely beautiful and tons of fun. Um, Gran Turismo taught me that I don't like simulation racing games. Like, <laughs> I, I don't have the patience for it. Um, it doesn't appeal to me. Like. I can like it was one of those things where I, I was watching. I'm like, I can tell this is well made, and I can tell it's doing exactly what they want it to do, and I want to turn it off. Like, so, it was just, somebody it was, couldn't get their S license. Oh, absolutely not. I <laughs> no, like I mean, the the only thing that was ever lucky for me was like I rented it and I didn't buy it. I'd have been sure. fucking furious if I'd have spent money on that. Like <laughs> you know, but. I, I, it's one of those things where I would try and I periodically tried to every once in a while, I'll get one of those sim, those sim games again, ever since then, like every once in a while, I'll just be like, okay, let's try it. Every time I'm just reminded, nope, not for me. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, like, it's one of those things where I almost wonder what I've missed out on because it never became a thing for me, but I'm glad you boys dug it. <laughs> All right, uh, on to my number four then. Um, I got Metal Gear Solid for the PlayStation 1. Um, just another another classic, uh, 1998 again. Um, it's, it's the story you've seen in movies a million times. It's a lone soldier infiltrates a, a base full of bad guys, and there's a nuclear machine, and he's got to disable it. But um, that, that game kind of took – it kind of started the, the stealth – genre in, in earnest like there might have been a couple games here or there before but this was one where it's like man you kill that guy you better hide his body there's somebody coming you can't take them all out you better get in that locker but the cardboard box industry blew up yeah after this yep, game came out absolutely it did so so did the exclamation <laughs> exclamation point industry um but the, <laughs> the the big thing i remember from that game though were the bosses um you got Revolver Ocelot. He sticks in my mind. But the but the one boss, more than any, that sticks in my mind was Psycho Mantis on that one. Like, you would sit there, 
for it was for PlayStation One. You've got two controller ports. It's a single player game. Obviously, you're in the first port, and he would dodge everything that you would throw at him, shoot at him, and he would sit there and taunt you. And the way you had to beat him was plug your controller into the second controller port, so he couldn't read your. I don't know, read your mind, read your movements or whatever. And that's how you beat them. But I don't know, it's just, it was gimmicky to a certain point, but man, it was fun. It was well done. It was too. a dick move. It was, it was well, a and dick like, move. And he would read your memory card and like mm-hmm. talk shit about like the games you'd played. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Like, it was, it was fun, but I mean, it, it was, it was different again. I like, I like a little different and it was just, it was a well done game. And I think that was the first, that was the first time I remember having to, you kill a guy you have to hide the body so other people don't see it and it's kind of become something we're used to in games now especially that stealth genre and that was the first time i remember seeing it and it was different it was new it was exciting like i remember like i remember uh, the first time i played it and like it's pretty early in the game when you come up to that laser grid Mm-hmm. And the only way you can see it is if you're smoking. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and yep. I, and like, I was like, the hell? And then like your health starts going down. <laughs> you which... start with a pack of cigarettes. And I remember yeah. being like, what the hell are these for? And it just says like Snake's favorite brand or something. And you have to use them later. It's, it's... Yeah. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it definitely set a standard for like uh, cinematic video games, mm-hmm. which I think has definitely been moved forward. And it's, you know, not for nothing, but like you're talking about like uh, Psycho Manus and Revolver Ocelot and all this wild shit. And this is maybe the most tame of the Metal Gear Solid games. Oh yeah, that, I mean, they go like, they go off the rails pretty quick. It's like we got 400 clones, and well, I don't know what the fuck we're oh, talking about anymore. Oh no, I love that because <laughs> like if we're gonna do it, let's go, let's fucking go. But like it was it it was one of the few the first times where I really felt like uh, they we're bringing in like techniques from movies to tell story. Mm-hmm. And it was just really cool. Like, I mean, there's a reason Kojima's considered a freaking you know, master at it. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, my number four is another Nintendo 64 game. Uh, I had a six, I did not have a PlayStation until much later in the game. So 64 games kind of hold a special place in my heart, but uh, it's called blast core. It is a rare game, and it is super weird, and I wish that Rare would make another one. Um, the premise is it's a, it's a puzzle game, and you are a member of the Blast Corps, and what, what that means is there are terrorists that have taken over these uh, trucks that have nuclear warheads on them, and if they crash, it will blow up and destroy at least the country and if not the world. So what you've got to do is whatever vehicle is around, you use that and you wreck shit. Apparently I like wrecking shit in my games and like, it's so fun because like, you're just like, this is a giant dump truck or now there's a robot that looks like a transformer or whatever. And you are just destroying anything in the path of this truck to make sure it doesn't blow up. And it is super fun. It is super fucking hard. And it's really great. Um, it actually came out on that rare replay that the Xbox One had, mm-hmm. which was cool. Like, so you can other, like, I feel like it's not a game a ton of people got to play. So I feel like it's cool that other people are getting to try it. But just really cool. A lot of fun. This was a really good party game, you know, to be able to pass a controller around and see how far you could get. Um, I also, I, I did not remember the story until you brought it up and i did not realize how many times we fought the cold war from our couch oh yeah. uh, you know between metal gear solid and some of the stuff we'll get into later but uh that's pretty much what we did for a lot of these games was save the world from some kind of faceless global domination I, i'm not gonna lie like i remember playing this game but i don't remember the finer details so my notes just say Reverse lemmings with trucks, which is pretty good. I mean, <laughs> it's basically what it is. It's like it's like instead of trying to get to the goal, you're trying to stop them from getting to the goal by all means. Like I remember renting it, but it wasn't it wasn't one that stuck in my mind other than that it was rare because it's it's another one of those developers that kind of used to do some 
off the wall shit that just doesn't anymore. And it, it well, and that was and that was like Rare's golden time. Like yep. Rare owned that sixty four. Oh, yeah, yeah, and we'll obviously talk more on that. But yeah, Rare was man. That was that was it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, my number three is a PlayStation game. Um, it's from nineteen ninety seven because ninety seven was the year, and uh, we, go, we we've talked about how. As you go along, you're going to see that Brian likes role-playing games. Yep. One thing you'll learn about me is I love rhythm music games, like, more than anyone probably should. And so my number three game is Parappa the Rapper. Uh, I This game is so silly and so sweet. And, like legitimately i i love the music in it um the premise is you're a dog who needs to rap and like and like each level is themed around stuff like he's you're a dog that has to rap to gain the love of the flower girl Uh, she's literally a flower don't forget that part Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know like he has to get his driver's license so that's a level and you're driving around with a moose press on the gas yeah and there's one where you have to go on a cooking show with the chicken and then there's one where you need to poop real bad so you have to rap better than everybody to get to the front of the line and it yeah it is goofy as shit and it is so fun and like one of the things this game does that i the only other one i can think of that did it would be like the the pseudo sequel is it lets you freestyle a little bit with the way you play mm-hmm. like you don't like you need to hit the button press at the right time but you can also hit some extra presses and if it kind of fits it'll work which is pretty cool well i'm i'm really happy this is on your list brett i, I wasn't sure if you would be willing to share this much with the group so i, I am really happy that you put <laughs> this on the list and, and i mean that because this you know, we'll probably talk in the future about some other rhythm games, but this was probably the most successful, uh, you know, out of the early rhythm games and also got the most right. You know, the, the fact that the timing was so good, um, you know, was, was something we weren't necessarily expecting or ready for with this generation of systems to be able to record our button presses, you know, in rhythm like that. And so it's really well put together. Story is super cute, but it is just a good game. So good pick. They're all earworms. Every every track on that game is an earworm. And I think my first exposure to it was one of those like um, PlayStation demo discs that used to come. Yeah. I want to say it was an EGM, and it let you play the first level with 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 Master Onion, the Chop kick Chop the punch, yeah. And, and man. I, I I played it there, and I think I picked it up like used from Blockbuster later because that's how I used to have to buy games. <laughs> you can only mow so many lawns. The season's only so many months, but it, they were all earworms, and they were good songs. The variety was there. The freestyle was there. But the most important thing to say about that game is if you wreck your dad's car, he is it's going gonna, to bite you. Yeah. That's the, that part sticks with me. I don't know why that's so funny, but one point, Paul Rapper wrecks his car, and he just looks at the camera and exclaims, he just says, my dad's going to bite me. And I thought that was the funniest thing in the world when I was 15, and it's <laughs> still up there, and I'm 35. I, I don't know why. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess we'll go on to my number three. Um, we're not going to talk too much about it right now, but uh, it's Goldeneye on the N64 once again, we're talking about the N64 kind of being the pinnacle of that couch co-op, and that it was done right. But we can we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, moving on to my number three, uh, I'm going to extend Brian the same courtesy with with my number three. But I, I would like to say I was also an N64 house, and so the PlayStation was something that I my first experiences with it were at a buddy's house. Um, you know, or somewhere else until I later picked up PS1 stuff for myself. Uh, my number three is Final Fantasy VII. And, you know, I recognize by putting it by, at number three on my list, I may be doing it a disservice. Uh, you know, I'm 
currently enjoying the remake on my PlayStation 4. But, you know, for somebody that didn't own the system, very hard to dive into a role-playing game, uh, you know, that you can that you have to walk away from because you don't have the system. So got got back on it years later. Love the piss out of it. Um, really good games. Probably second best Final Fantasy game. And uh, so it's it's number one PlayStation 1 game, but number three on my list. Moving right along to my number two. Uh, this is one of the crowning moments of the N64's co-op ability. My number two is WCW NWO Revenge for the N64. And honestly, I probably could have put about two or three different wrestling titles at number two. Uh, WCW World Tour was the first game. NWO Revenge was the sequel to that game. But then also uh, WWF's WrestleMania 2000 was a great wrestling sim. But this is the one I remember the most because this was It mine. was the shit. That is why you remember it the most. It was. Absolutely. The shit. Absolutely it was. Um, this was... There, there was so much cool shit you could do for a wrestling game that we had never seen before. You know, the, the way they introduced foreign objects was better than anything we had ever had before. You know, the ability to have Sting drop down and already start the match with a baseball bat. That was my dude. Oh, it was, it was excellent. Uh, the battle Royals were great. And like I said, you know, the ability to plug in four controllers and get three of your buddies on the couch, having a battle Royal talking shit, you know, going through all the different costume options for each wrestler and, you know, have your own couch tournament was so dope. Like the, what they captured in this game is something that we all try and get back nowadays. You know, we, we all play a lot of online stuff together and it's great, but that feeling when you're 14, 15, you know, circled up in a living room playing something like this is one of those feelings that just can't be topped. And so this, this game was a huge part of that for me. Um, that's why it's so high on my list and it's going to stay there for eternity. <laughs> Take that. No, it was a hell of a game. It, like you said, it's it's that perfect couch co-op. And I remember playing this in the basement with some of my friends. And it's like, yeah, you play in the the you know the Royale, and they throw you out, and you turn and just slug them in the shoulder. Like you're yeah. you're 15. You got a lot. Of, you got a lot of testosterone. I'm about ready to punch somebody. I'm mad. But like it was, <laughs> I mean, it was fun as hell. But Sting, that was my dude. Start with the bat. You lose the bat later. Just reach under the mat. Maybe you'll get a chair. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> reach into the crowd. Well, and the other thing, too, with the N64, um, you know, that they really helped capture was with the control stick, you know, that was your taunt button. That was also your signature move button. And so when you got to that point, it was a super easy flick of the stick to initiate your finishing move. And, you know, that's having that be so intuitive and easy is also something that made this really palatable and easy for people to pick up. So, you know, if you had a buddy that didn't own it, like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, you'll figure it out because it was pretty much, you know, uh, you had a handful of buttons that you would have to master later if you wanted to grab weapons and shit, but you could pick it up and play almost immediately. And so I think part of that, too, the accessibility for first-time players helped generate some of that couch co-op culture. Yeah, like, that's probably why this is one of my favorite wrestling games ever. And, like, I've tried to keep up with, like, the newer titles. And, like, they do some really cool stuff. But this is one of the last times where you didn't have to give a shit about wrestling. You didn't have to have played it a lot to be able to pick it up and play. And, like, there's something to be said for that. Because wrestling should, like, a wrestling game should just be big, stupid fun. And the more the more simmy you get with it, the worse I feel like you get. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, like oh, absolutely, like like it's. I mean, it's sports entertainment, guys. Like the shit is not actually real anyway. Why do I need you? To shut make... your mouth. <laughs> it's still real to me. Damn it. Yeah, it, but you know what I'm saying. Like it just. This is this was 
the pinnacle for me. Like it, like it literally never got better. I think, I think one other, like this is a game that came, it was on my short list to make my actual list. Cause I have such fond memories of it. And I think part of it is people our age, like not everybody, but like me, this was kind of like the last, um, it was the last wrestling I watched on TV. Like this was the, the, the can't miss. I, I know I'm not speaking for everybody, but like, I remember the, the WCW NWO split. And that's basically, I remember staying wearing red and black face paint, but this was like the last game before wrestling became kind of passed to me. So I think yeah, that, I mean, go this ahead. It really was at the, the pinnacle of the Monday night war. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so like I mentioned, you know, the WWF titles that are out there too, and they were good, but then eventually WWF won the Monday Night War. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have two competing factions anymore for our attention and our ratings. And I'm not a big capitalism guy. You guys know that. But I do appreciate the essence of competition. And, you know, so that, that's a whole other podcast for me to get into. <laughs> I won't be here for that the, one. The quality of the wrestling between WCW and, and WWF. But what I can speak on for this podcast is the quality of the media that they put out, you know, the supporting media like the video games. Um, oh, hell yeah. You know, they both knew that they had to put out good wrestling games to bring more people in as customers. And so... WF did a, a good job too, but this this probably is the best wrestling game that's that's ever been made. I'm into that. Um, moving on to my number two, um, it's Legend of Zelda: The Ocarina of Time. Uh, it it's it's a game. It's regarded as one of the best games of all time. It, it depends, you know, what list you're looking at, but you're gonna find this in the top five. It. It, the scope of it was huge for the time. Um, it, what I found really interesting about this is, so this game was actually, it was supposed to be Mario 64 to start with. Um, basically, they started with Hyrule Castle, and they were going to kind of branch off and use the the, the picture ID uh, idea that they used for Mario 64 because of because of constraints and then it kind of got delayed over and over and over and it just became this huge this huge epic unto itself um i mean i don't know what you have to say about the legend of zelda anymore it's it's the legend of zelda the scope is huge the locales are awesome it was the first time that you got to see um hyrule castle um uh, in in 3d um You've got the you've got memorable characters. Some of them that are new to the series. You've got the Gorons up in the mountains. I mean, you, it's it's the Legend of Zelda. It's Ocarina of Time. I, that's it. That's all you need to say. Hey, hey, listen. Yeah, you got Navi. I mean, I was I wasn't gonna bring it up, but yeah. Hey, listen. You're like, all right, I'm listening. Shit. Uh, one of the things I that like I hadn't really thought about until I looked at until you put it on your list and then I was uh, reading a little bit about it. This was one of the first uh, games that did the, the targeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yep. the, the targeting, the targeting lock on stuff. Yep. And like, when you think about that, how early that was and how well it worked, I just, um, yeah, I, I, I it's hard to, when it's, a, when it's a game that's this big, it's, it's almost hard to break it down into why it works so well. But I mean, it's the reason Zelda, until Breath of the Wild, um, why Zelda has always been the pinnacle, it's the dungeon design. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the dungeons don't work, if the dungeons and, the, and then the bosses, if, the, if that all doesn't go hand in hand, none of the rest of that shit matters. And, you know, except for the water temple. Oh, God. Uh, Brutal. Except for that, it, you know, like, it, it's It's intuitive. And it all plays really well, and there's just secrets everywhere, and like it's just it felt it felt like a world, and like that's all you could ask for. They they basically took the the 2D design of A Link to the Past, which was all of our number ones for Super Nintendo, and they fleshed it out and they made it a 3D game, <clears throat> which I mean, there's kind of a lot of the same aspects. There's some there's some time travel. There's 
you know, find the pieces of the Triforce, go about big epic. But man, th- this game was huge. And like you said, Brett, it was a never-ending uh, supply of secrets. There was so much stuff to collect, so much stuff to do. And it just, I, I, I bet all in all, that game took 60 hours if you wanted to do everything. And that's and if, a horse. Epona, yeah. And you get to play that bomb-ass ocarina. Yeah. Hit them yellow well, buttons. That, yeah, I mean, like, you know, all these things that have really become big things in the game, like mm-hmm. musical instruments, yep. having, like, a different form of transportation, be it, like, a horse or a boat or wings or, you know, whatever. Yep. Like, that was, a lot of that stuff was new to this version of Zelda. Like, it, it was just, like, looking at it, like, it just, it changed the way Zelda was made. And, yeah. Well, and I think that's something that's kind of cool about the series. If we go back to our last episode and we talk about Link to the Past and how different it looked and felt compared to everything else we had played Zelda-wise up to that point, and then this is the next installment. And it's already a, a huge departure from where we were, you know, by going from 2D to 3D and then having that targeting system, you know, having all of this look so different than everything, you know, we, we already thought that we it got stood on its head last iteration and then we get this. Um, it, it just kind of blows you away. And then this becomes the standard for so many years to follow. Uh, you know, when we get into the GameCube and we get into the Wii, uh, the Wii U, you know, it, it's basically what that all started with the N64 version. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, it, it it's held up for a long ass time. Yep. You can update the graphics, but all in all, like the core game, we're kind of still playing that core game from 20 well, some years for- ago. Except for like, I would say Breath of the Wild. Yeah, that that took it to a whole another level. I mean, you know, Breath of the Wild went into a more it's an open world thing, and then they you know shat on the idea of good dungeons. So anyway, <laughs> um, moving on. My number two. We're just about ready to talk about it. it my number two is also Final Fantasy VII, but we will talk about it in a couple minutes. Uh, my number one is Mario sixty four. Um, I, Mario 64, when I played that, I, it broke my fucking brain the first time I played that game. Uh, it was my, you know, like that was a launch title for the 64. It was the launch title for the 64. I mean, I think pilot wings. Yeah. But like, and I remember just being like, oh, so, so this is how it is now. Like, you know, holding that N64 controller with the analog stick and the fact that like, if you push just a little bit, Mario's just going to kind of walk. And then if you push it, you know, if you push it all the way out, he starts running and, you know, like all the different worlds connected in one overworld, but you get to pick where you want to go. And like, there's just secret stars everywhere, and, you know, if you got 120 stars, you got to go to the roof and see Yoshi, and, like, it was a weird bragging point, because it didn't matter, but you felt cool doing it. But and I did it, damn it. That ga- Yeah, and that game, fuck you guys, like, it's still super rad, and, like, the rumors that they're getting ready to basically put out all the mainline mm-hmm. Marios on Switch this year. Yep. Fuck yeah! I, I I want it for this because yeah. I want to play this game again. Yeah, it's thirty fifth anniversary, right? Mm-hmm. Are they talking about like an upscale for all these Mario's, or are they just gonna? I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking they're. I, well, it won't be like a remake, like you well, know, sure, some these, sure, some of these new games. But I'm thinking, you know, like at the very least, they're gonna have to up up the resolution so it'll play right. Sure. But yeah, supposedly. 64 sunshine and galaxy are, are getting put out so. perfect for the quarantine <laughs> yeah M- mario 64 we uh i remember we bought our 64 at nebraska furniture mart and we took mario 64 home with us and we we plugged it in it was me and my brother we plugged it in and we just like 
it loads up and you're in that big green lush open area in front of the castle and we're like oh shit yeah this is we've done it like we've made the leap we we we've gone from from super nintendo and and now we're here and then jumping into that first painting and seeing the world it creates for you and then um the different playing the same world multiple times but with a different um with a different end goal it was it was great it was awesome It, it was it was a defining moment in video games and it still stands up to this day which i mean that that just once again goes to the genius of nintendo and and some of these big developers, they just make the perfect game that will stand the test of time, no matter how old you are, no matter how much time has passed. One of the things that I think is cool about this particular Mario game and is different uh, from everything before it and even some of the ones after is you could play it and not complete any objectives and still have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, the the ability to just wander around and search for stars, you know, or check out the world was something that we didn't really have before because all of the levels were set on time limits. And so you had to continuously side scroll your way to the end. And this was the first time that we actually had an opportunity to stop and explore. And that's something that we've gotten more of you know, with the newer iterations, you know, being able to wander around and, and play with shit and, and check it out. But this was the first time to, you know, go see, I, can I climb on top of that tree? I bet I can. And then I bet I can do a finger stand with one fat finger and then hop off. But that, that ability to just run around and play, you know, even though it was a single player game, lent itself to taking turns with, your brother or your friend or, or whatever, because you could trade on and off and, and do stuff and not feel like you were on this linear path uh, to the end. One of the other things to build on what you're saying is not only could you just explore, but it, it kind of opened up, it opened it up kind of, it let you define between what type of gamer you were. Were you going to be the type of gamer that did the 120, I think 120, 121 stars or whatever. And, a trophy hunter. Yeah. Are you going to be that guy and you're going to get this, this star that's hard as nails? Or are you just going to get three stars from this world, two from this world, and once you get your 60 or whatever, go up there, throw Bowser by the tail? Like we, it, it kind of started that 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 line between your hardcore gamer and your casual gamer in the same game, which was kind of cool. Yeah. I, I, I just, the, the thing about Mario 64 for me was it was the first game I felt like that figured out 3d platforming and like, and what what's wild about it is how early this was and how much Nintendo got it right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, you know, that, that goes to Nintendo EAD. That's my motto. That is the fact that, you know, when it, especially when it comes to Mario, that's the flagship. You know, they they do not let those games suck. I mean, nope. It, I mean, like the one game people probably have the most problem with is Sunshine, I guess. And that's and I mean, I get it, but it's also it's exactly what they wanted it to be, and it's polished within an inch of its life. So it's just this game's great, and it. I mean, between this game. Like there were three games on the 64 that I think justified the 64's existence. I mean, Mario 64, Kart, and you know, Goldeneye. Like, I mean, there was three games, and this is one of them. So, all right, guys, I'm tired of talking around it. My number one, Final Fantasy VII. Um, Final Fantasy VII was it was a defining moment for me as a video gamer. Like we talked about before jrpgs are my shit i love them love them all it was the reason that i went out i bought a playstation one from a place in omaha called the game doctor i think he went to prison for modding ps1s uh later but yeah yeah i had credit store disappeared overnight the doctor is in <laughs> the doctor is in but i mean the you know, you go and you get the jewel case for Final Fantasy VII. It's that fat one because there's three discs, four discs, three. Yeah, three in there. And then I think there might have been a demo with the original release. But either way, it was three discs. It was huge. 
the and it was it was a perfectly polished jrpg at its core the 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 fighting the the battle system was great the materia system where you're learning your magic was great it had memorable characters it had everything you want in in, in a jrpg it, it gave you feelings it, it had huge locales um the the one downside to this game and i i hate to admit that there's a downside to it but some of the things that that game wanted to do were lost in localization there there are some there's some dialogue that doesn't quite match up and that drives me crazy but i i love the game i i love it at its core i love what it tried to do and i really hope with these new this new uh remake we get a little bit more of the story there but um i think the if you're going to talk about final fantasy 7 for people who have beaten it spoiler alert for a 23 year old game when Aerith dies like when you're you're playing through this game and you have this character that you met at the very beginning and you kind of you know they flesh out the characters really well they let you know what they're about and it's she's just a sweet she's just a sweet lady from the slums and she gets murdered in cold blood in the middle of that game i remember putting down my controller and just like being like what the fuck just happened how, how are you what gonna the fuck happened to my healer yeah right this is some horse yeah yeah i got i got her limit break all the way up to four and they're gonna kill her but like that was the that was one of the first times a game made me literally put the controller down and be like wow you can do that in a game yeah they've been doing it from in movies for decades but you can do that in a game you can just kill off a main character like that. It's it's wild, but the the way Final Fantasy VII approached um, kind of this newer generation of JRPGs, it was it was damn near perfect, and I, I don't think you could do it any better. You know, we talked at the beginning of the episode about Sega, you know, losing its way throughout this generation. And we had talked in the previous episode about Sega being the edgier, you know, more grown up version of the Nintendo, you know, like Nintendo was for kids and Sega was for adults. And then Sega left a void that PlayStation really stepped up and filled. And I feel like this game is a good example of the mature, uh, the maturity of a game coming through uh for for people i mean obviously we've got resident evil on the list you know another one that was for you know a more mature audience but i feel like this game felt grown up or at the very least you know more mature than what we had seen previously uh there's a bit of an edge to it that with a lot of jrpgs tend to come off a little kiddie you know, just by the way they're animated, by the way that they're the dialogue's written. Um, and, and this one really took a step towards, you know, being a little bit more edgy. And maybe it didn't all the way get there. You know, it's more of like a 15-year-old edgelord in a fedora, which is perfect for 1998. Um, but it, it really did help fill that void for PlayStation being a legitimate, mature medium for video games. I mean, your your very first mission in the game is you're bombing a reactor for this like big corporation. It's very I don't know. It's a, it's very uh it's like Captain Planet on steroids. You're, you're an environmental terrorist. Y- yeah, and and also it was the first game. Speaking of the edge, you're talking about first game I ever saw the word shit in. Um, right, right, like that first cutscene. I think Barrett Barrett starts cussing at you, and you're like, okay, shit, what I do. Why are you yelling at Dude, me, man? my mom's right there. Shut yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. You turn the TV a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just by dint of having the Final Fantasy on their system, it legitimized Sony, which cannot be understated. Like, I mean, they, you know, that that was a that was a big get. Um, and it was a big itself, it was a big fuck up on Nintendo's part. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I mean, you can you can argue that in several different ways. Uh, I think that Nintendo was not ready to give up the control that cartridges mm-hmm. gave them. And I think Sony wanted the freedom that CDs gave them. You know, it, it sure. was, it's, you know, you can't, it, it, was, it was not the smartest move by Nintendo, but on the other hand, they seem to 
always bounce back. So oh, absolutely, know about that. But (laughs) this game in particular, um, when I think of a JRPG, this is usually what pops into my brain. Like I, I have played games that are probably better, um, but this is the one that's just like the prototype for me. You know, you you've got your main character who's you know quiet. I'm sad for some reason. Yeah, and I'm badass, and you know, and oh man, all the girls like him, and who will he pick, and you know, and it starts off with something that, you know, while it is pretty crazy that you're bombing an energy reactor, like, small stakes growing into something that is eventually you were literally saving the planet, you know, um, like weird fucking characters that aren't human and then you know there's just some wacky japanese shit that you're always like hmm, well i don't get it but i'm okay with it you just keep it moving and that's how they do it over there huh yeah 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 you're just like well all right but and you know like weird little side quests and this is this is a game that like was one of the first ones where i took enough time to like you know, I got Knights of the Round. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, bring like, that black chocobo. Yeah, all my shit was like, like level ninety nine or whatever it was, and it, like, I probably couldn't do that again just because I don't have that time. But it was one of those first games that really captured my imagination in that way. And like I said, I didn't have a PlayStation when this came out. I saw it on my friend Daryl's uh, PlayStation, and I was just like. Like, it was all those things where you're seeing it, and I was just like, oh, so I made a mistake getting a 64, huh? No. Hmm. no. And, I, and I didn't. <laughs> and I didn't, obviously. But, like, when you're seeing that, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this will never be on what I have. Right. Like, this can't happen on what I have. You're just like, fuck. Because, I mean, like, it, this was 97. I'm 15, okay? Like, like you were saying, disposable income was... I had zero. Like mm-hmm. it was just so. How am I going to even get to play this? And obviously, eventually, I did. But just a great game, uh, a system-defining one, a company-defining one in a lot of ways. And yeah, I don't. I, doesn't get better. I mean, like it. It really doesn't. It doesn't get more meaningful or better. So here, here. Well, I'm here to tell you guys that it does get better. <laughs> Whoa. Because my number one, slappers only, no odd job. <laughs> odd job, bitch. We're talking Goldeneye for the N64. And this, if we're talking N64, everybody brings up Goldeneye. Like it, it is the pinnacle of multiplayer, especially local multiplayer. Um, we all have fond memories growing up, you know, playing this, you know, putting four controllers in and you getting your one quarter of a 19 inch TV to try and play this on. Uh, it, it all comes back to the multiplayer aspect. Like the, the single player game is whatever. It's a fine first person shooter for its generation. Um, this James Bond movie is fine for its Pierce Brosnan. Oh yeah, it, it, it's fine. But the multiplayer aspect of this was something that we had never experienced before in this way. And so it just, it changed what we expected out of games. It changed, you know, an entire genre of games to be more like this and to, you know, incorporate more. And even as we got into online play, you know, what we expected out of that online play stems back to what we experienced in Goldeneye. And so for me, like this is one that for being a licensed game based off of a movie, they could not have hit it out of the park any farther than they did. You know, we talked in previous episodes about most games based on a movie are dog shit. Mm -hmm. Like they're just a cash grab to try and promote the movie marketing. But this is one that, if you're in a group of people and you say Goldeneye, they know you're talking about the video game. Like they, they, nobody thinks that you're talking about the Pierce Brosnan film Goldeneye. They all know that you're talking about the N64 multiplayer game. 
And, and like that to me is wild. But like I, I can't think of another example where a video game essentially took the place of the movie that it was based on. And so for me, like that, that being able to traject itself that far above the medium that it was even based on uh, makes it the best game of the generation. All right. I, I love this game, but first of all, that Gold Knight the movie is very good. That's Second, good. It's <laughs> fine. It's no, fine. Let, let, it, Use a bumper. That's what it's okay, for. Uh, all right. Second of all, the, the campaign is fucking the best. Like the campaign in this game is so good. Like it was, it was one of the first, uh, um, first person shooters that had objectives. Mm-hmm. Like that, like mm-hmm. that was that was new. And like the the fact that they were they gave you like different uh, gadgets and like no like also the fact that this came out fucking two years after the movie. Like it's so <laughs> weird. And like you're right. Like I mean. The conversation that dominates whenever Gold Knight comes up is the multiplayer, and there's a reason for it. It was brilliant. It ran super well. Like, it was easy to get into, and there, there were so many game modes. I mean, you could just yeah. you, you could do you could do your regular just I'm going to shoot you, or you know what, we're going to turn on Golden Gun, and that's fun. Or we're going to turn on Living Daylights, and y'all better one shot kills for fucking everything, and suddenly it's been four hours like you know and you're just like huh oh shit it's three in the morning turn it off mom and dad are gonna kill us my dad's gonna bite me yeah my dad's gonna bite me no like it it, the game is no that it's a brilliant brilliant video game um like i don't know what else to say about it like the, the 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 only other thing i would bring up is um running the levels uh trying to get through them as quickly as possible mm-hmm. on get certain, the cheat codes on, to get the cheat codes that you could use in multiplayer was yeah. very cool and also i want to bring up the fact they have a gun called a club because i just like saying club okay I, I i only have two quick points because i don't know what else there is to say great game all around and defines couch co-op just that's it um first thing is so brett you brought up the point that it was released two years after the movie did you know it, it was originally developed as an snes game they were starting that yeah what a disservice that would have been first of all because you just I, you you would have granted you wanted to come out close to the movie but man by waiting they they created a, a like Drake was saying a, a cultural phenomenon unto itself by by not having it ready in time oddly enough they made something bigger than the movie uh the second point I want to apologize. I, he's not listening, but I had this friend in like uh, junior high. His name was Josh. The kids sweared to God up and down. The club was the best gun in the game. And I'd be like, fucking go get it then, you idiot. Rocket launcher. Just never. He he was the worst at the game, but he thought he was so good. And he would rock a club constantly. You know, I kind I, I, that's kind of awesome. Like good for him. Like like shooting with the club is like like old timey cartoons where you're like shooting and you're just making a fucking outline of them and yes. like you might hit you might graze them once. It was the worst gun, but he fucking loved it. I don't know why. Yeah, but yeah, Goldeneye. It, it's it's what it's what we all. Goldeneye is what we're still trying to capture when we're playing Call of Duty together online. We're chasing that dragon. We're, we're yeah, exactly yeah. We're, we're trying to get back to that magical moment. And, you know, you can come close, but you're never going to do it again. Not like sitting not like sitting in a basement with a fucking, like, blanket taped to the TV so you're not screen watching. You're never, <laughs> never going to get that again. Yeah, and, like, it just smells like Funyuns and farts. Oh, yeah. definitely farts. Yeah, Code um, Red Mountain Dew. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but, like... Uh... That, that that's that's especially why like I I feel like we especially with uh, this generation where we've been talking about it we we definitely have some strong opinions about it and stuff and that's just it's like the music when, from when you were fifteen mm-hmm. like yeah it's always going to be the best music like hell yeah the, Eve the, six the video ga- you know the video <laughs> games right Everclear but anyway yeah. but you know the video games from when you're fifteen are always going to be the best thing mm-hmm. and you know 
literally every bit of Goldeneye has been surpassed. Okay. Like, sure. sure. But it doesn't matter because it came out at that moment in time and it was just perfect for where we were at then. Cause like, honestly, if a game came out now that had great couch co-op, fuck, I don't care. I don't have any friends that I see in real life. We can all get together. This... You're not allowed to come over right now. Anyways. <laughs> That's true. And, and when we can all get together, we'll, we'll schedule a time for about nine months from now. Fuck. <laughs> It only gets worse, Brian. Oh man, buckle up, man. That was a that was a really wistful uh, goodbye from Brether. Meow, meow. All right. Well, that is uh, the list from the thirty-two slash sixty-four era, and we will Ooh. have another one coming for you soon. All right. Take care, guys. Yeah. Take care, you cool cats and kittens. Bye.